Well, if you will, please turn in a copy of God's Word to Genesis 15. This text is called the Abrahamic Covenant, the agreement that God made with Abraham. and has ongoing ramifications uh, for us. Uh, let's stop and let's ask God's uh, help as we come to His Word. Father, we, uh, we do ask for Your help. And uh, Lord, help us to see Jesus more clearly. Grow us in Your grace. Till the, the soil of our hearts that will be fertile, ready to receive the implanted Word, that You might grow us uh, spiritually and love You more. We pray for anointing and unction for the hearer and preacher alike. In the name of our Savior Christ, we ask it. Amen. Genesis 15, picking up at verse 7, hear now the word of the Lord. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, and a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each over half against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cabanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus took the curses that we might receive the blessing of salvation. Jesus took the curses that we deserve so that we might receive the blessing of salvation. When God created the world, when He created Adam and Eve, He created them perfect. By nature, they were not sinners like we are. Can you imagine not being a sinner? By nature, they weren't inclined to do evil all the time like we are. They, They had a perfect relationship with God, and this perfect saving relationship with God was maintained by works. Did you know this? Before the fall? By their perfect obedience. This was called what theologians call the covenant of works. By their perfect obedience, they maintained their relationship with God. But then they disobeyed God. And as a result, God cursed the ground, man, woman, and the serpent. Their nature changed. No longer were they perfect. No longer were they inclined to do good, to obey God. But now they were inclined to do evil. No longer could they keep the law of God perfectly as they had before. And tragically so, they were sinners. And all their descendants, that includes us, 
were and are as well. They were no longer able to keep the terms of the covenant. Covenant of works, that by their perfect obedience. Why? Because they could no longer obey. They had disobeyed. Something had to change. See, God, though, wasn't done. You know those great words, but God. He intended from all eternity past to send His Son to His people to save them from their sin. And so began what's called the covenant of grace. How are we saved? It's not by our works. We could not be saved by our works. We are saved by God's grace. This is just a fancy way of saying that God would save all His people who followed by His grace, by His unearned love, favor, and redemption. God could have just shut it all up, couldn't He? That was not His plan. His plan had always been to send a Redeemer. And it's through this Redeemer that we have salvation. And so all those after Adam and Eve, including them, you know, everybody, we have been saved by God's grace if we're saved. By God's grace through faith. We saw this explicitly last week in Genesis 15, 6, where we read, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Well, in today's text, we see this relationship between Abraham and God formalized in what's called a covenant. A covenant is like a treaty or a promise. And most of the time in Scripture, they involve a lot of blood. Right? As, we, as this points us towards the new covenant. The new covenant in Christ's blood. Right? In chapter 17, we're going to see God give a sign for this, a seal for this, a sacrament of this called circumcision. And we'll see more details there. But what does this have to do with any of us? I mean, this is great. You know, there are some animals cut up and... God walked through there without Abram. What does this have to do with us? Well, everything. Because in this promise, God not only promises to bless His people, but also to take upon Himself the curses that His people deserve. So just like in a contract where there are consequences each for each side, if it's, they do not uphold both sides, God in this passage shows us that He takes the curses so that we might have the blessings of salvation. Our text picks up uh, the same scene last week. God had reiterated his promise to Abram that he would be the son of, have a son of his own. Then he used the stars to illustrate to Abram just how many descendants he would have. But if you remember back to chapter 12, God had made other promises to Abram as well, and at the very top of the list was the promise of land. Now, God now continues the conversation and, uh, with Abram, and he identifies himself. Something that sounds a lot like a legal document. Let me read this to you, and maybe you can figure out where it might come from. I, Richard Parker Johnson, being of sound mind, willfully and voluntarily make this declaration. Right? Does that sound like a beginning of a contract? Well, I hope it is. It's a sample off the website. You know, I, I wouldn't use that, talk to a lawyer. But this is, this is what... This text sounds like here, verse 7. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. See, this is the beginning of a, of a legal contract, of what's called a covenant. He's going to use almost the exact same words when God enters into a contract, to a promise, into a treaty, into a covenant with his people at Sinai. 
You know, when we talk about the first commandment, uh, the, uh, you shall have no other gods before me, the Ten Commandments, you know, there's actually an introduction to the Ten Commandments that we often don't cite, but is actually uh, more important. It establishes the relationship between God and His people, and out of that relationship come all these commandments. Do you know what it says? It sounds just like what we just read. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. God is starting a a legal process by which He is going to bind Himself to certain promises for His people. And ultimately, they point us to the cross. That God would take upon Himself the curses of these covenants that we deserve so that we might have the blessings of salvation. Well, it's almost like Abram pipes up here. Uh, Excuse me, Lord. He has a question that, that comes out of faith. He's going to use the same word or name for God that we saw last week, the, the way, the most submissive way to address God, Adonai Yahweh, Lord God. And he asks a question, how, how am I going to know that you're going to give me this land? It's a question kind of like, I believe, help my unbelief. But God answers with a really strange answer. What does he say? Right after Abram says, how am I going to know? Verse 9. And he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. That's a strange answer, isn't it? Hey, go get me some animals. But not only does Abram obey, he also understands. We know this because in verse 10, he's going to take those animals. He didn't just go get them and bring them to God. He goes and gets them, and then he does what? He cuts them up. Now, we cut the pictures of the animals up straight down the middle because I couldn't find any pictures of the animals from the top down. Uh, But what you would do is you would cut right down the spine of a whole animal. This was a costly thing. A heifer, that's an expensive thing. A ram, a goat, a pigeon, and a turtle dove. And he takes all but the, all but the, uh, the, uh, the, the birds and he cuts them right down the middle and he lays them across from each other with an aisle right between the two. A path. And y'all, there's blood everywhere. There's blood everywhere. There had been blood on his clothes. Even if he had drained the blood of the animals first, I mean, there was just blood everywhere. It, it, it's almost like there can't be forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. Hebrews tells us that. Man can't come into the presence of God without blood. Ultimately, even this covenant is mediated by Christ, our only hope in this this life and the next. There's only one mediator between man and God, and it's the man Jesus Christ. He cuts them up without being told. Do you know what cricket is? You know the English sport? It's one of the most confusing games ever invented. I've played cricket. I was on a mission trip once to England, and there was a bunch of high school kids playing, and they said, hey, come play cricket with us. And, and I played it for like an hour or two, and I still don't understand it. It has a ball and a bat that I understand. But then it th- has things called wickets, overs, a blob, a bouncer, a bye, a bowler, a chuckler, a lollipop, and a night watchman. Do you know what those things are? I know those are words. I just don't know what they mean. Contextually here, it's hard for us to understand what's going on, but this is what they used to do all the time. In order to make an agreement, a covenant, a treaty, a promise, you would take those two, two animals, you'd walk down the middle, and the, the, um, the implied result or consequence is if you broke your side of the covenant, 
then you'd be torn into. This was especially true when it was a, someone who was stronger politically or militarily. They'd come down and say, hey, you now work for me. You're a vassal. And, uh, and if you don't follow your side of the bargain, then I will come down and kill everybody. That's, that's more or less the context of what's going on. Now, now, God is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, Lord of angel armies. He certainly is stronger than Abram. I wonder what Abram thought, what was about to happen. What kind, of, what kind of stipulations would there be in this covenant? You can see why when the darkness falls, there's a deep, dark dread that falls on Abram. It's a powerful thing to be in the hands of an angry God. It's a powerful thing to be in the presence of God. Verse 12, the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. The sun's going down, but he didn't fall asleep because of that. He fell asleep because God put him in a supernatural sleep, a, a super, supernatural vision, a, a dreadful... Pre- he, he, there was this dread that fell upon him because he knew that he was in the presence of God. So oftentimes we take it for granted that we can approach the throne of God with confidence to find mercy in time of need. And praise God, we can. Covered with the blood of Jesus, based on what Christ has done for us, But you know, the most common response in Scripture to being in the presence of God, do you know what it is? It's fear. When Israel met with God at Sinai, they cried out to Moses, don't don't let us see God again. Don't let Him talk to us again. You talk to Him, and you come talk to us. Isaiah 6, Isaiah knows for certain that he's about to die because he's in the presence of the Lord. And when angels, not God, just an angel comes and talks to Mary, the angel has to say, don't be afraid. But praise be to God that in His love and His mercy, He's going to make some amazing promises, not only to Abram, but to us. See, once Abram is good in his sleep, yet also able to hear and comprehend, it's supernatural how this is going on, God tells Abram more of the plan. See, Abram's going to have offspring, a whole bunch of them. But there's a but here. They'll be sojourners. Resident aliens, refugees in a land that does not belong to them. Not in this land, but in a different land. But it'll be worse than this. They will be afflicted and become forced labor, forced servants for four generations or 400 years. Generations were a lot longer back then. But at the end of those 400 years, they will leave with great possessions. Now, you have to remember who, to whom the book of Genesis was originally read. Do you remember? Moses was leading the people out of Egypt and into the promised land. They're wandering around for, in the wilderness, waiting for everybody to die off that needed to. And, and people were appointed to go and recite large sections of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy that he had written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so they get to this point, and don't you know the kids, when they heard that you're going to be in prison or you're going to be enslaved for 400 years, and then you're going to leave with a bunch of possessions, they said, oh, wait, 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 that just happened. See, God was telling Abram that his people, his descendants, two to three million of them, would come out of Egypt after being enslaved for 400 years with great possessions. And they did. I remember when we signed all those documents to buy our house on Virginia Drive, there were two parties making promises to each other. It's called a contract. And a contract has blessings and curses in them. So that if, uh, you know, if you don't, if the house doesn't meet 
uh, your specifications of what you said it was, or if I don't pay my mortgage, you know, there are certain consequences that come. We've reached the part in the contract where it's ready to be signed. God says, I'm going to do these things. And now it's time to be signed. But what do we read, though? Verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. What in the world just happened? Wow. Okay, well, first of all, uh, let's talk about God. This is called a theophany. Theophany is a physical manifestation of God. The flaming fire pot and the flaming torch together represent God. Now, God is not a flaming fire pot. He's not a burning torch. I think we can agree on that, right? These things represent Him. You know, smoke and fire throughout Scripture point us to the glory of God. What did Moses see? A burning bush. Israel at Sinai, the mountain burned with fire. What led them in the wilderness? Do you remember? A pillar of fire, the Shekinah glory of God. And, and when uh, the temple was consecrated, fire came down from heaven and consumed all the sacrifices. But where was Abram? If this was agreement between God and Abram, wouldn't it be like John Luke and me? Walking through the animals together? Where is Abram? He's still asleep. There's blood everywhere. It's dark now, and a deep darkness that God puts upon him. And God in the, represented, it's hard to even know what kind of language to use here, right? God represented by this flaming fire pot, this smoking torch, or vice versa, passes between the animals while Abram is over to the side, fast asleep. Now, what does that mean? It means grace upon grace upon grace. Because God knows full well that Abram and his descendants, like you and me, will not be able to uphold a relationship with him. Time and time again, we have sinned against God today in our heart, our words, our thoughts, our actions. Time and time again, we have transgressed, we have trespassed God's holy law. And yet God here binds himself, swearing by himself. There's no other name by which he can promise. To not only provide the promises that he made to Abram and to his descendants, but also to take the curses and consequences when the descendants of Abram, you and me, when we broke our covenant with God. Jesus took the curses that we deserve so that we might have the blessings of salvation. Now, I would imagine a lot of times for us, we think of Abraham, this guy in the Old Testament. Isn't that great? It's a guy a long time ago. Important guy, I think. What occasions does it have for us? Well, here's the thing. God made this promise not just with Abram, but also his descendants. And one of those descendants was Jesus. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene, the godly see exactly what's going on. Zechariah, you know, remember him, the, the father of John the, the Baptist? He knows exactly what's going on. Listen to what he says in Luke 1. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, 
the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. He saw Christ coming as a fulfillment of this covenant. See, someone had to pay for all the times that we've transgressed God's law, and God had made a commitment to Abram and to his spiritual children by being the only one to pass through the dead animals. Instead of Abraham being torn in two, instead of us being torn in two in hell forever, who took upon himself the sentence of death, the curses upon himself? It was Jesus. This is what's behind Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. That what was the curse? The curse was the wrath of God, which we deserve in this life and in the next. But it was poured out upon the only one who could satisfy it. Our Savior, who loved us and gave Himself for us. Our Savior, through whom all things were made that were made. Our Savior, who is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Our Savior, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. Our Savior, born of a virgin, did what the law could not do. Indeed, it was powerless to do. Our Savior took upon Himself the curses we deserve that we might have the blessings of salvation. He promised to do so. And when God promises to do something, you can take it to the bank. I'm reminded of the cross. Do you remember in our passage here that a deep darkness fell upon Abram? The same thing happened when the new covenant was cut, when it was made. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. God, in this passage, He makes a promise to Abram and to his offspring about the land. He said, this land I'm giving to you and to your offspring and you will have it forever. What do we do about that? Well, if this covenant is with us, we're not living in that land. How does that apply to us? Well, we can say two, two things. First, with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and then Pentecost, the, the gospel went well beyond the confines of the nation-state of Israel. It went to the Gentiles as well as the Jews, and here we are, 6,700 miles from Jerusalem, worshiping the Lord in the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. But even more so, the promised land of the Old Testament was a shadow of what was to come. It was a glimpse of the better promised land. It was something to as a down payment for the true promised land, the promised land of heaven. At its height during Solomon's empire, the promised land under um, Israelite control was about 13,000 square miles. But it pales in comparison to the new heavens and the new earth, right? The, the new earth... 197 million square miles makes up this world. And the incalculable cubic light years of the new heavens. We are looking forward to the, the true land of promise. The true land of rest. When Christ comes and makes all things new. Well, God's plan was always bigger than Abram and his immediate family. It was to use Abram and his descendants specifically the Messiah, Jesus, to bring salvation to the nations, to people from every background, ethnicity, language, and race, to a saving relationship with Him. 
Y'all, it's the biggest project ever begun, and it will be brought to its completion when Christ comes again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that our Savior Christ took upon himself the curses that we might receive the blessings of salvation. Lord, may the blessings of salvation be dear to our hearts and quick on our lips that we might tell all about the saving love of God. We pray these things in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.